uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And last week when we were looking at chapter 1, we saw that, that uh, Solomon was having what we might call an existential crisis. Uh, he was wondering why in the world he even existed. He was wondering, is there any meaning in life at all? And we talked about how he's not really trying to cause us to have doubts. What he's doing is, is he's using a strategy to grab hold of people who are struggling with the th same things that he did. Uh, he's not preaching like a normal preacher would preach. He's saying, look, I looked around and I came to the conclusion that nothing in life mattered. And so as you, as you look at chapter 2, I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we read through it because that will help you understand what's going on. I'm going to read through the chapter here, so you follow with me if you will. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of mirth, well, what does it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I planted me gardens and orchards, orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to bring to a pools of water to water there with the wood that brings forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delight of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all they that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do that comes after the king, even that which has been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as far as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so it happens even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that that which is now in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dies the wise man? As the fool. Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that has not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man of all his labor, and of the vexation of his heart wherein he has labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrow and his travail grief, yea, his heart takes not rest in the light. 
This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who else can hasten the hereunto more than I? For God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Father in heaven, as we look at your word this morning, uh, may we understand it by the guidance of your Holy Spirit, and may we grow in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question real quick as an, as an introduction here. If, um, if uh, money were not an issue, what would you do? If money weren't an issue at all, now some of you are probably going to give the Sunday school answer. You're going to say, well, I'd just give it all away, or I'd fight world hunger, or I'd build orphanages, things like that. Or maybe you're a young person and you're thinking, man, if I had all the money in the world, I'd tell you what I'd do, buddy. I'd party, and I'd buy houses, and, and I'd buy cars, and all that type of stuff. Or maybe you're an older person and you say, well, I would retire. And I would invest and I would make sure that my children and my grandchildren are taken care of. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at a man named Solomon and money was not an issue for him at all. People have looked at 1 Kings chapter 4 verse, uh, through chapter 10 and tried to estimate his wealth by reading that. And it's estimated that King Solomon was worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, some even estimate that he was worth in the trillions of dollars. But if you read all that he possessed in 1 Kings chapter 4 through chapter 10, you come to a very conservative conclusion that this was a man who was worth at least hundreds of billions of dollars. He was the richest man alive in his day. He would be what we might call Elon Musk 2.0. And he had all this money. And he was searching for meaning in life. That's what the whole book is about. Remember last week, uh, uh, he said, you know, I found out in chapter 1, he said, I found out that life is just mundane. The sun comes up and it goes down. The wind blows from the north to the south, from the east to the west. The sun goes up and does its thing. And he's like, life is just the same old thing. It's just a different day. And he said that life wasn't satisfying. He said, it's, you, it's like watching the rivers run into the ocean. You're thinking you're going to see something. You're thinking that eventually the ocean will be full and then something different will happen. The rivers will quit running into the ocean. But he said it doesn't. He said the rivers run into the ocean and the ocean is never full. And the idea there, he's saying, look, I'm never satisfied. I'm just like the rivers that run into the ocean. I'm never satisfied. He said life isn't rewarding. Everything you get at the end, you just lose it. And, and, then, and then he brought it back at the end of that chapter to show that life should be simple. He said, the more I learned, the more I hated life. We've heard that statement I mentioned last week, ignorance is bliss. There's no person happier than a kid because a kid doesn't know anything. And we talked about last week how one of the reasons that so many people are dissatisfied is because we just know too much. We get on the internet, we surf, we're always finding something that's better than what we have. Or that contradicts what we think we know. We're never just satisfied. And we talked about how the simplicity of the gospel is the answer. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That if life is lived with that simplicity, 
Yes, I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to leave this world. But because my sins are atoned for, because my faith is in Jesus, there is hope in life. And so now we here we come to chapter 2. And Solomon in verses 1 through 11, he looks for meaning and pleasure. He tried the party scene. In verses 1 through 3, that's what you see. And I want you to notice that Solomon said that he was testing himself. If you look at verse 1, he said, I said in my heart, I will prove thee. It's almost like he's doing an experiment. He's saying, you know what? I'm just going to find out if partying will make me happy. And so he submerges himself into this party scene. Now, obviously, this included alcohol. But there's something interesting about his drinking. Solomon says, yes, I gave myself to wine, but I tempered it with wisdom. But what does that mean? That, that doesn't mean that he didn't get drunk. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that alcohol didn't consume him. He wasn't one of these people who can't handle his alcohol. Did he party? Yes. Did he get drunk? Yes. But at the same time, he realized, hey, I can't stay drunk all the time. Because if I stay drunk all the time, I'll never get anything accomplished. Yet he still gave himself to wine. And now he's surrounded by all of these people who are partying, who are having a good time. He's surrounded by these people who are out there that are laughing. And when you look at the language here, it describes what goes on at a banquet. People are gathered there to drink. They're gathered to dance. They're gathered there to hook up. And he probably figured, man, if you look at these people, they look happy. All of them look happy. But here's the thing, folks. Listen to me. It's not hard to look happy when you're intoxicated. Right? It's not hard to look happy when you're intoxicated. But if your happiness comes from intoxication, you have to stay intoxicated to stay happy. And very quickly Solomon realized that. Very quickly Solomon realized how foolish the party scene is. Those people aren't happy. Those people are drunk. And they appear to be happy because they're drunk. And there's a big difference. And so you see here, he says, hey, I see all these people that are always laughing, that are always dancing, that are always having a good time. I'm going to go with them and I'm going to find out if that's where the meaning of life is. He said it wasn't there. So then he tries pampering himself in verses 4 through 10. He tries pampering himself. He, he lived for himself, church. I want you to notice how many times the word me or myself is used in verses 4 through 8. He said, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me gardens. I made me pools and vineyards. And I got me servants. And I gathered me silver and gold. And I gathered me singers. So here's a man who appears to be very selfish, who is just lavishing himself with the finer things in life. I mean, look at all the things this man built. He built palaces. He built pools. He built gardens. And he could just walk around his property and look at all the marvelous things that he did. And look at all that he obtained. He said that he obtained servants and cattle and silver and gold and choirs and musicians. When you put all that together, here's what you, here's what you get, folks. I want you to think about this. Here was a man who could invite hundreds of people to his home 
seek them by the pools, feed them steak that he raised himself, and provide live music from a band that he owned. I'll tell you, that old boy could put on a party, couldn't he? And notice again there in, in, in verse 9. So I was great. Well, that's a nice thing to say about yourself, isn't it? So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained in me. So you see, his wisdom remained. Solomon was a man who had wisdom like no other. This was a smart man. You know, a fool and his money are soon parted. Solomon was no fool. He spent money, but he made more money than he spent. And he said in verse 9, he was great. Solomon was a man who was known all over the world. The queen of Sheba, when she came to visit with him in the book of 1 Kings, she had heard of his greatness and she said, man, i got to go see this. And when she went and saw him, she left impressed. You know, it's one thing to impress just a regular person. It's another thing to impress a queen. And so here was a man who was not just great in his own eyes, but who was just known for being great. You know, I would imagine all those projects that he was doing there, I would imagine all those projects, they probably kept him pretty busy. But here's the thing, you know, eventually in life, you just run out of stuff to do for yourself. When you've got money like that and power like that, eventually you just run out of stuff to do for yourself. Look carefully at the end of verse 10. His reward for all his work was the pleasure these things gave him. He says, and this was my portion of all my labor. So the pleasure he got out of all that he did, that was his reward. But the problem was, it was a temporary pleasure. To get more pleasure, he had to build something else or he had to buy something else. If he couldn't build something else or buy something else, he had no pleasure because all of his pleasure came from that. It's just like, you know, if if your pleasure comes from alcohol or drugs, what do you have to do to keep having pleasure? We have to keep drinking or keep smoking. If your pleasure comes from things, what do you have to do to stay happy? You have to keep getting. You have to get more and more and more. And the pleasures he enjoyed, verse 11, were only temporary. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. I mean, imagine Solomon just looking at everything that he had done. He walks out to his vineyards, he he sits down, and he just looks. Maybe he looks out the window at his pools. Maybe he visits his fields of cattle. And he looks at all that, and he meditates on all that he has accomplished, but he feels like in his heart he hasn't accomplished anything at all. That's hard for you and I to understand, probably. But that's where he was. I remember watching an interview years ago of Tom Brady on 60 Minutes. He was only 27 when this interview took place. And after winning, he had only won three Super Bowls at that time. And after winning three Super Bowls, this is what he said. I'm, 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 I'm quoting him here now. He said this. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, I think. 
But I, then I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I, I love playing football and I love being quarterback for this team, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. And then he asked after that, he said, what else is there for me? And then the host, the host then asked Tom Brady, said, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady replied, I wished I knew. I wished I knew. Here was a man who is the greatest football player of all time. Here is a man who is married to a supermodel. Here is a man who's got more money and more fame than, than any of us could ever imagine. And he sits there and still wonders, this can't be what life's all about. There's got to be more than this. And that's the predicament that Solomon was in. He had accomplished more than anyone could ever hope to accomplish, but he found no meaning in all of the pleasures that he pursued in this world. Now Solomon is then frustrated in verses 12 through 23 by his own mortality. He says, you know, the difference between the wise and the foolish is temporary. You see that in verse 12 through 14. Now, wise and foolish here doesn't mean lost and saved. In many places in the Bible, wise and foolish means lost and saved. It doesn't mean that here. Wise here means worldly wisdom. It means you have skill. It means you have self-control. It means you have intelligence. Foolish is just the opposite of that. The point is this. Human wisdom, even if you're not saved, human wisdom can make life easier in this world. You can be lost and still live a good life for yourself in this world. You can make a good living, you can save, you can buy, you can be comfortable in this world with just some worldly wisdom. And Solomon says here, says no one could do any better than he has from a worldly standpoint. He says, you know, I've accomplished as much as you can on this earth. Human wisdom is good. It helps a person get through this world because verse 14 shows that fools just stumble through life. But in the end, both the wise and the foolish, what? Both of them die, y'all. And that's what Solomon's fixated on. He's fixated on this idea of death. And, and, and as he's getting older, he's realizing, man, I just can't keep up this lifestyle. One day I'm going to die. He says, and not only me, but all the fools die too. Solomon says one event happens to them all. The wise and the foolish, they both die. So here we have two men. I want you to think about with me this morning, church. Here we have two men. Yonder, yonder, over there is a fool. He wouldn't work. He wouldn't be a father to his children. He was a leech to society. He never accomplished anything of lasting value at all. He was a fool. Beside him. Beside him in the same funeral home. In the same room, lying beside him on a bed, covered in a sheet, is a wise man. A man who worked hard all his life. A man who loved his wife and children. A man who made sure that when he left this world, everything was taken care of. But when you look at that fool under his sheet, and you look at that wise man under his sheet, when you pull the sheet back, one is as dead as the other. Right? One is as dead as... And that's what Solomon thought about. He said, I'm just going to die like a fool dies. And that bothered him. 
That bothered him. In the grand scheme of things, he was thinking, what does it matter if you're wise or a fool if at the end of the day, both of you are in the same funeral home and you're just as dead as you could be? And this brought Solomon to verses 15 through 17 where Solomon hated his life. He thought about this, man. It ate him up and he hated his life. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I hated life. And then again in verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor. And, and why? the reason why is found in verse 15, preceding these verses, verse 15. The reason is because he said, I'm going to die just like a fool dies. It doesn't seem fair. And he wonders why he even tried. He wonders, well, why was I wiser then? Solomon was a man who studied. Solomon was a man who read, who learned to do things, who put his heart into a task. And now he's mad at himself because he's saying, you know what, all those books I read, all those skills I learned, they were for nothing. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to die just like a fool dies. And he was looking at this from a worldly perspective. And you can see that in verse 16. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dies the wise man as the fool? He wants to be remembered. He wants people to recognize what he's done. He doesn't want all of his work to be in vain. And here's the thing you have to remember, church. It cannot be your goal to be remembered by man. If it is your goal to be remembered by man, you're going to be disappointed. We can't even remember where we put our keys. You think we're going to remember you in 20 years? Or 30 years after you've left this world? It should never be our goal to be remembered by man. Rather, it should be our goal to be honored by God. That's our goal. The one who does not forget. Amen? To be honored by God. Now then in verses 18 through 23, Solomon feared what his heirs would do with his estate. He feared what his heirs would do with his estate. Look at verse 18. He says, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Solomon said, Man, I worked hard all my life. And now I've got to give everything that I worked for to somebody who might be a fool. Now here's the sad part. He did give it to a fool. His name was Rehoboam, his son who was an awful leader and very quickly lost half the kingdom. Remember that? Very quickly lost half of everything that Solomon had worked for. And it was this fear of leaving everything that he had gained to a fool that grieved him. We see that in verse 20. And he says in verse 23, he said, I couldn't even sleep at night. He said, I would sit around at night and I would just think about what they're going to do to all my stuff when I'm gone. And he said, man, I could not even sleep at night. And there are many who work all their lives and then worry to death about who they're going to leave what they have to. There are people like that, man. They start thinking, well, who deserves what I have? Well, who's going to be wise with what I have? Who's going to honor my requests with what I have? Who's going to get mad if I don't give them this or give them that? Who really needs it? Who would only sell it if I gave it to them? Who would waste it? Solomon's dilemma was this. I've got all this stuff. I recognize that I won't be here much longer on this earth. What in the world am I going to do with it? 
That was the situation he was in. I want you to think about that. Man spends his whole life trying to get everything he can, and by the time he gets to the point that he can enjoy it, he starts worrying about, now what am I go- who am I going to leave it to? Who's going to get it? Solomon was no different than most of us. But this thing ate him up day and night. And so then finally Solomon recognizes the benefit of enjoying the life that God has given you. We see that in verses 24 through 26. Look what he says in verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. He says there that we should enjoy the fruit of our labor. Church, God wants us to enjoy life. God doesn't want us to work ourselves to death. What Solomon says here is he says, look, you've got to live life. Of course, you've got to use godly wisdom when you do it. But God wants you to enjoy the life that He's given you on this earth. You've got to stop trying to build bigger barns. You've got to stop trying to make a name for yourself. Because you're going to leave all that you have behind and eventually you're going to be forgotten. And if you're fighting to keep what you have, and if you're fighting to be remembered on this earth, then you are fighting a battle you cannot win. So Solomon says, quit trying to do that. Quit trying to be remembered. Uh, Quit trying to be pleased with all this stuff and enjoy what God has given you. Did you know that most people, even in the church, most people are trying to do too much. You're just trying to do too much. Man, you've got to slow down. Man, you've got to enjoy life. God created life to be simple. To love and serve Him. That's it. A very simple life. Because what good does it do to accomplish a whole lot but enjoy very little? If you accomplish a whole lot but enjoy very little, what have you accomplished? Why not just focus on enjoying the life that God has given you? God has given you the ability and the strength to work and enjoy life. Take advantage of that. Now he says here that that we have to recognize in verse 26 that God is sovereign over our life. Look at verse 26. For God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. Solomon says in verse 26 that God gives a man what he receives. He's making a distinction here between lost and saved people, but I'm going to start with saved people. He's speaking to Christians right now. And if you're saved this morning, you are blessed beyond measure. God has given you wisdom. God has given you knowledge. God has given you joy. And He has given you the wisdom and the knowledge of who He is. And that, my friends, is what's supposed to bring you joy. The wisdom and knowledge of who He is. Whatever you are, Christian, you are by the grace of God. Whatever you are in this world... Whatever you are, you are by the grace of God. Therefore, you should be filled with joy. This is who I am. This is who God wants me to be. I'm not Solomon. You're not Solomon. We'll never be. I'm not Elon Musk. You're not Elon Musk. We'll never be. Most of us will never be rich like this. Most of us are never going to be on any list of who's who. Yet we are who God wants us to be. And because of that, we can enjoy our life. Here's the thing, church. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your present life. Because if you can't enjoy what you have, you won't enjoy what you get. 
If you can't enjoy what you have, you'll never enjoy what you get. And you know what? I'm me, and you're you, and that's okay. Why? Because in God's sovereignty, you are you, and I am me. I want to use an illustration here that some of you may understand and some of you may not. Uh, But most of you know that I like to catch catfish, and there's a catfish community now. Where all these people come together and they share, oh, you know, I caught this fish and I caught that fish and blah, blah, blah. But now catfishing has become trophy fishing. Catfishing has become what bass fishing used to be. And you remember Bill Dance, you remember all those fish you chose, and you get mad when you saw them let them go. Amen? What are you letting those fish go for? We got a good fish fry off that thing. So now it's not so much bass anymore for a lot of people. Now it's, it's catfish. And, and people, they don't want you to let catfish go. And they're always criticizing people. They say, oh, you caught that fish and didn't let it go. Why'd you let that, why didn't you let that fish go? Or you'll catch a fish and you'll put it on social media. And somebody will say, oh, I've caught fish bigger than that. Or they'll find out what bait you're using or what hook you're using or what lead you're using. Why are you using that hook? Why are you using that lead? Why are you using that bait? And they, always, they always got something to say. And it's insane. And these people aren't happy. And the number one thing about fishing is it's supposed to make you happy. Amen? If you're mad and fishing, there's nothing I can do for you. You are doing the, what can bring you the most joy that I know of. And yet you're still not happy. You know what's done it? And I don't want to be one of these people who's against social media because I use social media. But social media has made us want a life God has not given us. So these guys can't be satisfied anymore with, hey, I caught a fish. It has to be some great catch. It has to be in the record books. It has to be, they have to be recognized for their skill. They can't simply go fishing and say, hey, I caught a fish. Praise God. Amen. I caught a, you, maybe you caught a big one, doesn't matter. I caught this one. Maybe you're a better fisher than me, doesn't matter. I caught enough to feed my family. You know, that's the thing I tell people all the time. I just want to catch supper. That's all I'm doing. And if I ever get as upset as these guys do about fishing, I'll just stop fishing. But here's the thing, you, you have to kind of just sometimes unplug yourself from what the rest of the world is doing around you and stop trying to compare what you do with what everybody else does. Look, enjoy your life. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your wife or your husband. You get on social media, so-and-so's husband did this, so-and-so's wife did that. It doesn't matter. That's not who you're married to. Enjoy the person you're married to. So-and-so's family did this, so-and-so's family did that. So what? Enjoy the family God gave you. So-and-so got a promotion. They got a better... So what? Enjoy the job. Well, so-and-so, they're going to be able to retire early. So what? Enjoy the life God has given you. Because if you're constantly looking out there at the rest of the world and thinking, man, if I can get what they have, then I'll be happy. You're fooling yourself because if you can't be happy with what you have, you won't be happy with what you ever get. God has given you a life. Don't waste it trying to find pleasure in a life He has not given you.
That's what Solomon did. He was trying to find pleasure in a life God had not given him. And in the end, he realized this doesn't work at all. Now, if you're lost, verse 26 teaches that when you die, you lose everything. Verse 26 says the sinner loses everything. I want to tell you something, church. I want you to listen to me real close. This is for every person in here, lost or saved. Listen to me. All you really have is your soul. That's all you really have. You don't really have anything else. And if you don't believe me, just die and find out. Because when you die, you leave everything here but your soul. That's why Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses what? Because that's all you got. At the end of the day, the only thing you have is your soul. Therefore, if you lose your soul, you lose everything. You hear me? If you lose your soul, you lose everything. And so the answer to this this question that we see here in, in Ecclesiastes 2, where in the world does pleasure come from? is found in, in your soul being saved. That if my soul is saved, I will not lose. Because I came into this world naked and with a soul, and when I leave, I'll still have my soul. And I'll never be forgotten because my name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. I'll be with God and those who love God forever and ever. I can't lose if I don't lose my soul. And the only way not to lose your soul is to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus gave a parable about a man who built bigger barns. The man was out there and he ran into, man, so much money. He, he, he couldn't spend all the money he had. He had so much stuff that he didn't have room to keep it. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. Remember that? I'll build bigger barns. And he built those barns. And by the time he got those barns built, his number got called. He was ready to sit back and take it easy and sip lemonade on the beach. But then he died and God said, you fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. And then God said, and then what will you have? My dear friend, that's true for all of us. One of these days, our number will be called. We will leave this world. And if our soul was not anchored in Christ, we will indeed lose everything. Christ has accomplished everything for you. He died for your sins. He rose again. In Him, you will find pleasure and meaning in life. But you must turn from your sin. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again for you. And you must call on His name and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when you do that, and when you truly mean it, and you really do that, God will save you. God will forgive you. And God will give you eternal life. And then, my dear friend, you will find what true pleasure is. Not in things. Not in money. Not in a name for yourself. But in that wonderful soft pillow 
of a good conscience before God. That if I leave this world today, I'll simply enter heaven forever. I'll simply enter heaven forever. Where are you, friend? Do you need to call on Christ? Are you like Solomon, seeking for worldly pleasure, coming up empty? Call on Him if you need Him. Or perhaps today you are saved, but you've been trying to find pleasure, and you're about to work yourself to death. And you're forsaking the joy God has given you for a joy He has not given you. Maybe there needs to be some changes in your life. Maybe you need to simplify some things. Slow down. Whatever it is God is dealing with you about, I pray and hope that you'll hear His voice. Father in heaven, we love you. We're grateful for all you are in Christ.